0: I could talk about so many things related to like (laughs) (laughs) the age groups of horses too, like with socialization, when we have like little baby horses, like weanlings and yearlings, like they're normally just with their dams and other foals. and I think that's Mm -hmm. really inappropriate (laughs) to set them up for success in the future. I think that's why we also end up having to have like a gelding pasture and a mare pasture because they just don't know how to interact with each other.
1: Yeah, that's so true. And I, I've i seen a lot of people on social media talking about how like foals should be raised both with other foals and other adult horses and just kind of like exposing them to horses of like various ages and, you know, types and experiences and whatnot. And I feel like it is a lot like dogs in the sense that like you do want to slowly introduce them to different types of horses and different ages and whatnot. And so they're hopefully going to have more well-formed social skills and they're going to not end up in a situation where they don't know how to interact with other horses because that's honestly what's gonna probably lead to the horse having injuries it's gonna be them (laughs) having poor social skills or being around other horses that have poor social skills it's not like oh turnout is gonna make them get injured or whatever it's like if they can have healthy turnout and interact in a healthy way that's great it's just you have to set them up for that success
0: right I listened to Adele's episode, her podcast episode of uh, introducing new horses. I listened to that yesterday. It came out like a month ago, so some people might have heard it already, but it's like almost an hour long just talking about how she introduces new horses, and that was like mind-blowing to me because it's so normalized to just like throw everyone together and hope for the best, and that's terrifying when you think of how badly things could go, and quickly too, and like what are you going to do if there's five horses fighting?
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah, you're right. And I listened to episode two like a while ago when it came out, but I remember like, I feel like I learned a lot from that because to be honest, I didn't know how to properly introduce horses. Like I've never really had to introduce horses on my own. I've always like been doing it under the leadership or guidance or whatever of other people, like at the barn I worked at, they're, you know, telling me what to do. Or when I moved Coco the barn owner would be like this is the way that we do it or whatever and so I do it that way but I remember when I did move Coco to her last home where she lived the barn owner asked me if I wanted her to just kind of be thrown out with the herd or if I wanted her to be first introduced to one other horse in like a certain area and then have her get to know that horse and then turn them out all together after that which is kind of like a more quick streamlined version of what Adele was saying like it's sort of letting her get used to one member but not doing it quite as slowly and like well as Adele's version (laughs) but um, I, I just didn't really know and I guess my like not knowing much my thought process was like well she's gonna be really stressed about the move if she's gonna have to like get introduced to this horse in this other random area and then you know, have to get moved to all these different places and go through all this different stuff, like that's going to be stressful. Maybe it would be better for her to just get thrown out there and be stressed for a little bit, but like, you know, get to know the horses and get to her area immediately. And, you know, that's fine. So I just like let her be thrown out with the other horses, which like in hindsight, I probably should have gone for the other option or ideally tried to get the barn owner to, you know, go even a little further with that option of having her get more slowly introduced into the herd. But Yeah, so I think it's just hard for people, too, because there are these competing things of, like, you know, they're stressed and you kind of just want to get them out into their environment, so you really have to make sure that you're educated on that, and I also think it's something that a lot of people, even who do know a lot about horses, don't know a ton about, so I really appreciate that she made that episode. Yeah,
0: me too. I had some ideas on how to introduce horses in a more, I guess, successful manner, but Adele really broke it down and gave me a lot of ideas, which is good because after winter, I'm hoping to foster some uh, horses and rescue and Phoenix has recently shown some aggression towards new horses. So it's going to be a process. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, at our last barn, the people that were coming to replace me basically had to bring their horses earlier because the last barn they were at had stopped feeding the horses hay, which is for some reason a common trend in my area, but so they got moved earlier than they were supposed to. Thankfully only like a couple of days, but it was still really stressful for my horses and there was not enough space for them to be there. But like, I understand that's yeah. a tough situation, but Phoenix had just been like chasing around one of the horses constantly. Like anytime that horse would move or make a noise, he was chasing him around with his ears pinned and, I had told the owner because I actually know her and she was like, oh, it's okay. He just likes him. And I was like, no, (laughs) no, he hates him. Oh my goodness. (laughs) But yeah, so that happened. And now I'm, I know I have to be more cautious, but I didn't really have much control over that situation. So I just did what I could, which wasn't very much, but (laughs) yeah, yeah yeah I
1: think that's a theme of like just doing what you can which unfortunately isn't very much in this world we live in that is not very nice to horses or (laughs) doesn't give them a good
0: environment really (laughs) yeah it's really awful but now they're home I can do better because I have like a front pasture which is basically my arena like there's it's not a real arena there's no sand or anything I'm too poor for that but (laughs) it has short grass because they eat the crap out of it and it's dying so it's fine with me because it's our arena but they have that and then there's a pasture behind that that has gates that i can open and close to let them in or out and then in spring or early summer we're fixing our back pasture so there'll be technically three pastures so then i should be able to more successfully introduce new horses without that much conflict
1: nice yeah that's really good to have different areas and different pastures. And yeah, that sounds pretty good. I I am very confident that you'll do a good job with it. I feel like you are the person who will definitely like make sure you know exactly what to do and take it really slow. So I think you'll do great. Thank
0: you. I think my introducing my awful dogs helped me learn. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I bet. (laughs) So we've
1: kind of already covered like there's no overall dominance hierarchy that everybody follows, but there may, well, not maybe, there are like one-on-one relationships that might show some elements of quote-unquote dominance, but are much more fluid and individual. So I guess another thing is like, what about humans? Do horses see humans as like a part of like the same type of interaction? Like do horses still want to have that one-on-one Like quote unquote dominance with us, because I feel like something that I've heard people say, even if dominance theory isn't true, is like dominance could still be a thing on the individual level of with humans and horses. And so I think that could be an interesting thing to talk about is like, do even even disregarding dominance theory, do horses still kind of want to like be the leader over us or whatever?
0: I don't really think so, but I guess it depends again on what your idea of dominance really is. (laughs) Because like I obviously give my horses a say. I like empowering them. They have a choice in what we do 99% of the time, unless it's like medical or something. But I wouldn't necessarily say that they're like trying to overpower me or something to do something they want. I mean, in a positive reinforcement training setting, there's gain for everybody. Like no one's really losing at all. Most of the time, at least, if you're doing it right. So I don't really think it's necessarily like a leadership-based idea. I think everyone's mostly just happy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I think even in the one-on-one relationships, I'm hesitant to like want to use leadership even between horses because it is much more so, I don't even know, I guess you could go with confidence levels, although like we said, that's more vague or just kind of how that specific situation is expressing itself with the horses and what they know and their experiences and how they act in that one situation isn't necessarily how they'd act in another situation and I don't think they have the concept of like I'm being the leader of this horse they just have the concept of like I'm doing what I think I should be doing to get you know the best outcome for me and you know according to my reinforcement history whatnot so I think it's I see it the same way with humans as in like Horses aren't acting a certain way either because they're they have some like preconceived idea that they want to be our leader or because they think we're their leader, but instead just because this is the way that they've been reinforced to act this way, or they don't know how to act. And so they're in a situation where they just don't really know what to do. And so they're kind of reacting in a way that might be based more on like fear or something if they don't know what they're supposed to be doing and they feel threatened so um yeah I definitely don't think horses are coming with this idea of like I want to be the leader because I don't think that they have that mental capacity to be you know having like a a goal to be the leader of somebody or other they're just kind of acting in the way that they've been reinforced to I mean there certainly can be horses that are you know quote-unquote hard to control or whatever if they're If they haven't had the reinforcement history to react well to the ways that you're trying to, you know, quote unquote control them, which control should never be the goal, but in certain like traditional relationships, it definitely is. And so if somebody's horse is constantly pulling on the lead rope and not, you know, following them where they're supposed to be going or isn't wanting to be caught in the field or whatever, those type of things, that can look like the horse is trying to be the one in charge or whatever but the whole concept of that is just not accurate because they're just reacting the way they are because of how they've been reinforced by their interactions with you more so and also going back to like horses I personally I think horses know that aren't horses like and they also I think can tell that we're like a completely different type of animal than they are we communicate in completely different ways we're You know, a predator animal and their prey animal. I'm not saying that they're totally afraid of us and they, you know, think that we're going to kill them because we're a predator and they're prey or whatever. But I do think that there are certain just biological differences between horses and humans where they're like, we're just not going to interact in the same way that horses do. I don't think they even see us as somebody that
0: they should be having like leadership over or whatever. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I agree with all of that. And I don't know why people think that horses think where horses, the same with dogs, people, like, act like a pack leader, quote, unquote, and it's just, like, why, like, why do you want to be a dog, you have so much more brain power than that, just be smarter, Uh, something that I've gotten some backlash for saying before, is that animals are selfish, and I think it's because it's a label, but, like, if you think about it, they're doing things that benefit them, like, they're doing what works, it's not, like, oh, they're just, awful, they're so mean, like, they are selfish, they're doing what's reinforcing to them, or what's giving them relief from pressure, like, it's not, that's just how they are, that's how their brains work, they can't necessarily think for other animals or people. Yeah, that's so true,
1: and just in terms of the brain, like, I am no brain expert, I do know basic brain things from, like, my education and whatnot, but I do know very obviously that like the part of our brain that we use to do stuff like make plans or, you know, generalize things or have more abstract concepts and whatnot is our frontal lobe. And we have a very big developed frontal lobe while horses have a very tiny, very undeveloped frontal lobe. So they definitely just don't have the brain power to be able to, you know, make plans and think about things and abstract concepts the way that we do and that's not a bad thing but it does mean that they're acting more according to their reinforcement history rather than making an actual plan like we could like obviously humans also act according to their reinforcement history but we have more ability to break that pattern and to do something else that conflicts with our reinforcement history if we can rationally think through it and be like oh um, actually I think that this is a better option but horses just can't do that and it's important to remember that because obviously we want to think our horses are really smart and really advanced in their thinking and in a lot of ways they really are but we also have to remember that they're not humans and they do not have the same brain that we have
0: yeah there are a lot of similarities but that's one that's like drastically different (laughs) yes And they do have a frontal lobe. So they, I mean, they
1: have possibly some capacity for like decision making and whatnot, but it's just very undeveloped compared to how ours is.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, when you're training, you can see them making choices. So it's not like it's not there at all, but it's definitely not the same as ours. (laughs)
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) One thing that bothers me too with like, I've heard a lot of like, make them move their feet if they're like quote unquote disrespecting you. And I mean, that's not necessarily like just on dominance theory, I guess. Arguably, you could say it is, but it's just traditional training in general. But that doesn't make sense to me because by making them move, you're just scaring them like you're not instilling your dominance or anything. They're running because they're afraid. They're prey animals, so they're going to be more flighty most of the time.
1: Yeah, that's so true. And I feel like there are certain like methods out there that have been created over time, like Clint Anderson's method or whatever, and like just different trainers have different methods. And it becomes like a sort of pseudoscience where people hear about the method and they just like assume that it's some type of science or some type of proven thing. And they kind of equate it with like actual like scientific or psychological research about how like learning actually works or how horses actually learn and whatnot. And so I think a lot of people just kind of put that type of training on the same level as like real science when they should not be doing that. And so it causes them to think that like things like moving the feet or whatever are an effective way of doing it because they they see that and they're like, oh, this smart person said this, but they're just unfortunately equating two things that are not on the same level of like being scientifically backed.
0: Yeah, I've been to quite a few like natural horsemanship ish i mean it's kind of a spectrum like we mentioned before but yeah i've been to a few of those demos at midwest horse fair before one was dan james and i actually like his work a lot more than some others because he's a lot more like breaking steps down and not as harsh so i appreciate that but there is some language that came up when he was like he has like seven horses or something ridiculous and he works with them all at one time which just blows my mind that's way too much but if like one horse would step a wrong step, he'd be correcting that horse and like using language about it that just didn't fit the situation. Like there was one mare, they were all like cantering in a circle. He was riding the horse in the middle and she had just like bolted and started running around the arena, like full galloping. And he had told her that she like knew the routine and she was doing it all wrong and then like started getting after her for it. But if you think of the situation they were in, there's thousands of people staring at her on bleachers in an arena she probably hasn't been in that many times after traveling from, I think he's from like Australia or something. So it's like, there's (laughs) so many different things that it could be. I don't know why we're just so quick to be like, oh, bad horse.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's so true. And like that type of language that he used is definitely implying this idea that like the horse knows exactly what they're supposed to be doing and they made the rational choice not to do what they were supposed to do and that's just not at all what happens like horses can't really for the most part like think through things and make rational choices like they're they're reacting in the ways that the environment is affecting them basically and i'm sure there's something like you said lots of valid reasons for that horse to be really scared or to be confused or a combination of a lot of things so Yeah, I think it's just very problematic to assume that like any horse that's acting up is doing so because they knew what they were supposed to do and they were just being bad and they just chose not to do that because that's just, just even brain wise, that's
0: not how they're going to act. No, like I don't know why people think they're so spiteful when again, they're harmony seeking animals like they just want peace
1: yeah exactly and to be honest if they were spiteful i would not blame them because the way we treat them man like (laughs) because i know there is there is some research out there that shows that horses do remember certain like they they can remember past history with a person and they can even remember like facial expressions of a person um so if they see a person who has a negative facial facial expression like looking angry or something and then that person comes to them another time like you know later that day or after being separated for a few minutes and then coming back together they remember that that person had been in a bad mood or whatever and they will kind of react differently to that person based on that and i think that's really interesting and there's definitely a study about that that i think i've talked about before but i can't remember exactly what it is but i can find it and link it but they do have this sense of like being able to understand human emotions that might they might have just learned that from their own self interest of you know when people are angry bad things happen so they have to start to kind of pick up on those signals but I think it's easy to kind of equate that with spite of like, oh, this horse, you know, I was a little bit rude or whatever, and now they're holding spite out on me or whatever. And I just think that that's like, that's not what it is. It's like the horse is learning that when humans have a certain expression or act in a certain way, it leads to certain consequences for the horse. And unfortunately, we do take out a lot on the horse. So that totally makes sense that they might adapt to recognize those things for their own safety and whatnot so I think also like looking at how we're treating the horse if they are acting negatively toward us we probably deserve it because they don't have the ability to just be like oh like they don't have the brain power to just be like oh I don't like this person for this stupid reason so I'm going to be mean to them they're just reacting to the history they have with you so if they're treating you poorly they're probably either like in pain for a reason unrelated to you or they're afraid or they just have a very negative history with you and they don't like what you're gonna ask them to do
0: horses must be so confused because I think I look angry all the time (laughs) (laughs) but it's okay because they still like me and and engage with me
1: (laughs) well hopefully like hopefully they can read it a little bit better like maybe by body language or something else I don't know I mean I I feel like I look angry too like when I look at training videos I'm like I just looked so angry but I don't think the horses are necessarily noticing that or at least maybe they they know that they have a very positive history with us of like we're not gonna like treat them poorly or hit them or whatever so they don't have to be afraid they recognize that that's my neutral (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: hopefully and another Adele episode the one with Jim Masterson he was talking about adaptability too so I think it's cool that it got brought up here right now because he said Mm -hmm. something to the effect of like horses survive because of their adaptability like they're always adapting to their environment so they can survive. Like, it's not a spite, like we said, or like, just being naughty, like they're just surviving. That's all they're trying to do.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, they just want to be in a situation that's going to have a good outcome for them. So they want to do what you're asking, because, you know, what you're asking them to do, typically, if they do that, there's going to be a good outcome. So if they're not doing it and they, they know that they're not doing it, it's because there's some other reason why, like they're in pain or they're very afraid or they just are confused and don't actually know what you're asking, things like that. So I think like horses are not out to get you or to not listen to you. If anything, they want to listen to you because of the reinforcement you're giving them, whether that's, you know, negative reinforcement, releasing pressure or positive reinforcement, giving them a reward, they want whatever that outcome is. So they're going to try to listen to you. But if they don't, then there's something else going on.
0: Yeah. And there's so many factors to look into too, which can be hard Um, for us. (laughs) I think that's part of why we do rely on dominance theory because it appears more simple and it appears more ethical sometimes to some people and it's more effective supposedly <laughs> like there's just all these things that benefit the human but aren't necessarily true or I mean making a good relationship with the horse obviously
1: yeah that's very very true and I think if people just you know it always comes back to if you just understand body language and you just listen to the horse that's going to help you out a lot with understanding you know, at least some insight into what's going on. There's so much to look into. Like, I'm not saying you can just look at the body language and suddenly everything's clear, but I think that helps out a lot. And it's just like, especially people who practice natural horsemanship and believe in dominance theory and whatnot, I find that a lot of those people tend to have a very inaccurate idea of, you know, what body language is, or they think that like, they can communicate with the horse Using the horse's body language like themselves and those type of things. And it's just like, I mean, maybe your training method could be effective, like negative reinforcement could be effective. But when you're like kind of confusing it with all of these weird, like fake scientific things that just don't work, that's it's just going to become a lot less effective, anyways.
0: Right. Yeah. The misconceptions and myths around body language are a real problem in the horse world. <laughs> I think that's probably one of the biggest issues because even if you're using traditional training or natural horsemanship and you're listening to the body language, they're going to be more successful and the horse is going to be less stressed. So it's just better for everyone.
1: Yeah. And a lot of people think they might be like with the licking and chewing, for example, when they see the licking and chewing, we've talked about licking and chewing so much, but they see that and they're like, oh, horse is learning, the horse is listening or whatever. But it's like, no, if you actually understand the. You know, science and the way that this horse is like, you know, physiologically made up. You're gonna learn that actually, that's when the sympathetic nervous system is going down, back to the relaxation of the parasympathetic nervous system, and that's gonna cause saliva output because of the body relaxing, and then just kind of the natural process is like picking back up and whatnot. And so, like, yes, you're going to a calmer state. You're going. Back to the parasympathetic nervous system, but it's still you don't want to be in that upper state where you're where they're having to get to that calm state. So, or if you are in that state, it's not that they're learning or anything. It's just that they're calming down pretty much. So
0: Right. I mean, that can technically be like a relief of pressure to them, I guess. That's why it works. But yeah, it's not that they're necessarily understanding. But they're just like getting into the rest and digest. Like it's not it's not what people think it is most of the time.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: I I think I told this story before, I think in like the body language episodes or something, but I had someone helping me get Wonder in the trailer forever ago. And the barn owner was just like sitting there watching for some reason. And she's a self-proclaimed trainer with not much background. She might have learned from a couple people. I'm not entirely sure, but She had told me that she'd been a trainer since she was like 10. And that was a big red flag to me. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Uh, But the other person who was helping me get him in is relatively knowledgeable. She uses negative reinforcement, but she also does positive reinforcement, which is cool because I don't know anyone else here nearby that does, but she has a better understanding of body language and what the horse is actually trying to communicate. So she was doing a good job, but She was trying to lunge wonder and have the trailer be like the safe space, which is a really common idea that people use. I do not recommend and I don't do it anymore, but at the time I didn't really have an option because we had to get out of there, but uh, she was doing that and he doesn't know how to lunge very well with negative reinforcement. Like He has a good idea, but it was never like super solid from the beginning. So he would just like sometimes stop and just like stand there. And the barn owner kept calling him lazy because his head was dropped and his eyes were closing and he had a cocked leg, but those can be stress signals too. Like he's just so worked up that he's like shutting down. That's what's happening.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's just crazy too, how people just want to simplify it so much like, oh, they're standing still and they're, doing things that to us look like they're relaxed so therefore they're relaxed and they don't want to actually learn about like what this would mean for a horse and not just like the assumptions that we would naturally make and I think that's such a common thing too with horses having negative reactions to lunging like most of the horses that I've worked with (laughs) don't lunge very well and as a result of that like I'm going to be honest I don't really know how to lunge a horse effectively and I have no problem saying that and I still I don't think that that takes away from me as, you know, a horse person or whatever, because it's not my goal. I don't want to know how to lunge. And at one point I probably should have known how to lunge when I did like, you know, traditional training and whatnot, but Coco did not lunge. Like I tried, I tried, I tried to do what I knew and it just didn't work. A lot of the other horses I've worked with had various other different issues with lunging. Ren doesn't lunge because she, I've never tried, but according to Joe, she gets very, very irritated and just agitated. And, you know, she starts showing a lot of stress signals, which I can't really describe exactly what they would be because I've never seen it done. I've just heard secondhand from Joe, but apparently she just, she doesn't want to be lunged. She will react very, you know, poorly to it and get very upset. So I think, I mean, lunging is definitely something that, like with good negative reinforcement can be effective and the horse should react to it, you know, hopefully in the way that you're wanting if you're practicing good negative reinforcement. But I think a lot of these horses are taught to lunge in ways with people who aren't practicing good negative reinforcement. And then the whole process is just kind of confused for them them because they're like, they don't know what exactly is being asked because people lunge in different ways or have different strategies and however it's being taught they're not really clear on what they're supposed to do and so that leads to them either being like Coco and being shut down or being like Ren and just kind of going up too many levels and becoming very agitated so yeah I think I think lunging is like a big thing that a lot of people have trouble with.
0: I don't think most people want to break it down as much as it needs to be either which is a problem because realistically even using negative reinforcement you would clock or like wave a whip at them, whatever, and then you would stop the second they take one step or even like shift their weight forward. I don't think people want to break it down that far. And I think that's why a lot of horses don't do it well or get confused or just get agitated because it's not really broken down to the level that it should be.
1: Yeah, that's really true. And it's hard to do that, especially when you're in a situation using pressure. Like I can say firsthand, when I've been in those situations, I feel like I have to be empowered to get this horse to do exactly what I want like the the pressure to me almost like empowers me in a negative way to have to like force the horse to do it and I personally have a lot of trouble removing pressure when I should and I don't use negative reinforcement obviously or at least I use it as minimally as possible and so you know I I don't have that problem just because of the fact that I don't use it but Shortly after Coco died, I was doing some negative reinforcement lessons and it was sort of more of like a natural horsemanship type of, type of training idea there. And I was really, you know, trying with the lessons to do well. And the trainer was actually giving me really good advice of like, not necessarily advice, but like guidance of like, okay, this is when you need to remove the pressure and whatnot. And I was just having so much trouble because if the horse isn't doing what you want, the only tool you really have to get them to keep doing it in negative reinforcement, and at least in my opinion, is to continue putting on that pressure and just escalating it. Or even when they are doing what you want, there's kind of this this urge to just keep applying the pressure to just keep getting them to keep doing it. And it's just hard to to get the timing right. And it's really hard to not apply too much pressure to the point where like I, who I want to be a force-free, you know, trainer and person who works with horses, I was being told by this other person who is more of like a negative reinforcement, natural horsemanship trainer that I was putting on too much pressure. And like, that's not the situation that I want to be in. And that's not what I want to do, I guess. And I just think it's very easy to, to be that person to get to that point where you feel like you're putting on too much pressure or you just, you know, objectively are putting on too much pressure. And so, yeah, I just, I think it's very hard and I think it's a lot easier in positive reinforcement to, for me, it's a lot easier to get the timing right. I think my timing is pretty good with positive reinforcement. With negative reinforcement, it sucks. So
0: (laughs) yeah, mine is too in negative reinforcement, but realistically, I haven't trained a lot of negative reinforcement. Like I was just riding and working with horses that already had those commands. So it was a lot easier in that way, but Like with Wonder, when I would lunge him traditionally at first, it was really hard to know when to release the pressure. It also didn't help that he had like no vocal commands. So when he was on the lunge line, he would just go. Like There was nothing Mm -hmm. else. It was was just go and stop. So (laughs) that's a different story, but it is hard to know when to let go. And we mentioned it before, but Using negative reinforcement because you get results immediately is super addicting, basically, to the person applying the negative reinforcement or punishment. The results happen so fast that it's reinforcing to us instantly and we want to do it again.
1: Yeah, that's definitely true. And I think also with negative reinforcement, it doesn't have to, but it does tend to come with the idea that, you know, you are kind of controlling the horse and being the leader and whatnot. Like with natural horsemanship, it's very much like you are being the dominant person over the horse. And so the horse needs to be doing what you're saying. And I think That also influences you to use excessive pressure or to, if the horse isn't listening, to just go ahead and and like highly escalate it probably more than needs to, especially because sometimes horses like take a second or so to figure out what they're going to be doing. Like, obviously, like a bunch of latency and like delays in when you're asking something, them doing it is not good. But at the same time, like if they take a second to think about it or whatever once in a while, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But I think other people watching you with negative reinforcement there's like this collective pressure that the horse has to be doing exactly what you're saying exactly now and so that kind of leads to like a misuse of the pressure and whatnot and I think that's partially what was happening to me is that I was in this training environment where I was being instructed and evaluated based on what I was doing and so I want I wanted to for me to get the right answer and for me to get the horse to do what I wanted because that's the goal of this lesson. And so I would put on too much pressure just because, you know, I don't want the punishment from the trainer telling me that I'm doing a bad job and the horse isn't listening or whatever. So it's almost like this continual thing of like, okay, I am reinforcing the horse and the trainer is reinforcing me. And so the reinforcement that the trainer is giving me or the punishment that the trainer is giving me, um, is kind of influencing how I'm reacting to the horse. And that can be a very positive thing. If, the trainer is, you know, influencing you in a way that's helping you train well, but I think it's also, like, having a trainer present really affects, like, how you're working with the horse, too.
0: Yeah, that comes down to social pressure, again, which we talked about yeah. last time. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode of Click, Treat, Repeat. Feel free to check us out on Instagram at click, treat, Repeat Pod. You can find Jen at Genuine Equine and myself at bonafide.bt. We upload new episodes every other Monday and hope to see you then. Happy training.